We're in the middle of a series called How to Live on Purpose. And at the end of this year, you're going to end up somewhere in your life. And we all acknowledge the incredible disruption that COVID has brought to us individually and to us as a country, as a planet. But you're going to end up somewhere in your relationship with God, in your relationship with family, in your relationship with friends, in terms of your finances, your work life or your day-to-day life, and in your overall well-being, spirit, soul, body of what's going on in your life. And I believe God wants us to finish the year well, so it sets us up to launch into 2023 that's a scary thought right there. It's almost upon us. 2023, with a sense of direction and passion and being alive in Jesus. Proverbs 29:18 says, where there is no prophetic vision or divine guidance, people cast off restraint. One translation says they run wild. And we're not just talking about any kind of direction. We're talking about God speaking into your life by the power of the Holy Spirit, the voice of the Holy Spirit guiding you, directing you, prompting you. And none of us will necessarily get an audible voice, but that prompting, that inner voice of the Holy Spirit tied to the Word of God, just redirecting and refocusing your life. And living on purpose means to live intentionally. It's deliberately acting on God's Word and the prompting voice, as I've said, of the Holy Spirit. It's the opposite of just doing life on autopilot. And living on purpose removes a lot of confusion and frustration. I'm not saying you'll never have any problems or any difficulties or any obstacles. But that intentionality, God, I want to live on purpose, is really important. And it brings energy to your life and passion to your life when there's some intentionality. It's kind of like, and I've used this illustration in introducing the series, a GPS. I love my GPS. A nice lady's voice telling me where to go. Um, But when you turn on your GPS, whether it's in the car or your phone or whatever it is, it firstly links to a satellite or a few and identifies where you are. Then you put in where you want to go and it begins to guide you. And if you take a wrong turn, and I mention this specifically because I believe this is relevant to a number of people, is you take a wrong turn. It doesn't just say, well, I've had enough. Get there on your own. I'm sure occasionally it may think that. I deliberately provoke it on occasions, but that's another story. But it just says correcting. And that's what God does with us. He doesn't write us off. So if you feel you're in the middle of a situation where you took a wrong turn, just listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, no, this is how you get back on track. And so today we're actually going to focus on your daily life. And it's a significant part. It's the everyday, not just the special moments or the Sundays or other things that are significant to you. It includes for many of us our work life. And they estimate that at least 40% of your life is spent at work if you're in the workforce. I actually think that's gone up because of 
the technology that's meant to have made life simpler, but we take work home with us now. And it kind of almost feels at times 24-7, but it's a huge chunk of our life. And we're talking about how to honour God with our productive waking hours. And so this includes stay-at-home parents where you are on the go continually until the little blessings wear themselves out and go to bed. And, and usually their energy way outlasts yours. No response, just... <laughs> this includes students. It includes people who volunteer, retirees. God still has purpose for us in the everyday. And so this message is not just directed to our work life, although I'm going to touch on a few things there. Please take the principles for wherever you are in life. Ephesians 5 and verse 15 and following, the Apostle Paul says, be very careful then. He doesn't say be paranoid. He just says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You see, he's talking about living with intentionality. And he goes on to say, you need the Holy Spirit. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit because he will help you live with purpose and intentionality. So like the GPS, we're going to first off start to identify where you are. Where is the here in your life? This is where I am. This is where I'm situated in my life. And I just want you to be open to the Holy Spirit to identify a few things, good, bad, or otherwise, because if it's the bad, He can redirect you. You can get it right. You can sort it. That's what grace is all about. And basically, I'm going to oversimplify this, but there's kind of two categories of people listening to this message, whether here in the auditorium or on our online campus. And you are dissatisfied. In fact, you're quite grumpy about life. You've got a bit of an attitude, perhaps, or a frustration, or maybe even a sense of despair, but it leads you to be dissatisfied. You, You dislike what you do, and maybe even who you do it with. Surveys before COVID indicated that 45 and sometimes as high as 60% of people dislike what they do. And that is just ramped up. This kind of unsettled thing that COVID has done to all of us to be a bit more uh, about, and that because we've carried this thing that's disrupted all aspects of our lives. What I love about the Scripture, God can speak to us about every single stage of life and every single circumstance in life. And Solomon, the wisest man on earth apart from Jesus, um, he writes the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's actually, he writes it reflecting on a a state when he kind of walked away, drifted away incrementally from God. And he's cynical now. And he says this in Ecclesiastes 2.17. So I came to hate life because everything done here under the sun is troubling. Everything is meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. 
And maybe, maybe not in the whole part of your life, but in an aspect of your life, you go, yeah, that's what it feels like in that area. Maybe it is something that speaks to most of your life. This thing, I, I, I just feel like I'm pursuing stuff and going after stuff. And it's like trying to chase the wind. I'm never getting there. And maybe it's not as extreme as I hate life, but there's areas of your life that you think, I really don't like that. I'm really frustrated there. I'm really disappointed or disillusioned there. And my prayer is, in fact, I ask you to pray it right now, quietly, just where you are. You can engage with me and engage with the Holy Spirit. It's the best thing is pray that God by His Spirit will speak to you, that He'll give you wisdom, that He'll give you a sense of clarity, that He'll give you a sense of purpose if you've lost that. And it may not be in the instant. I think God can do that. It may be just in the coming days and weeks as you pray that, that it'll be a growing sense as the Holy Spirit begins to prompt you and empower you and direct you and draw your attention to doors that are opening, opportunities. Because remember, Paul said, make the most of every opportunity. And some things that we think are opportunities are actually doors that God is closing. And we are so frustrated with the closed door, we forget to see that he's actually opened a door somewhere else. And I believe that's a prophetic word for some people here. You're frustrated about the closed door, but God is opening to you a new door. But you're so fixated on the closed door that you're not yet seeing the open door. And the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you about that. Divert your attention, your eyes onto the God opportunity that is before you. So there's people here that are dissatisfied, somewhere on the scale. There's others of you that you're pretty satisfied. Life's not perfect, but you're kind of content about where you are. And my challenge to you is not to settle. I love the parable in Matthew 25. And I know Linda was confused about the parables. I'm happy to sit down with her and instruct her in the way. Because <laughs> she meant to meditate on these things and to get a sense of meaning. I'm, I'm in trouble. Can I go to lunch somewhere today with somebody? <laughs> Where Jesus talks about a master who went to a far country and entrusted all his belongings, all his wealth to three servants. And two of them did well and one did nothing. And I'm not going to go any more into the parable than that. But when the two that do well, they get the same reward. Whatever they've invested, whatever they've taken, it's doubled and you can keep it, the master says, the generosity of our God. And he says these words to them, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling the small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. And I want you to notice something there. That, that, that reward for doing well in the kingdom of God is not retirement. Jesus said, I am so excited about the way you handle that situation. And in comparison to your potential and what you could be doing, it was just little. He's not making it insignificant, but he says it's just little. And what I'm going to do is actually open to you greater responsibilities. Come on, let's celebrate. 
And I think again, for some people, that is kind of a prophetic word to stir you up because you've started to settle a little bit because life's so comfortable. And I'm, I'm prophesying God's going to stir you up on some things. You see, we're not here on earth simply to eke out an existence. God has placed you and I, and I'm speaking to people who name the name of Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. And you might not be quite there yet, but you're heading in that direction. But once you say yes to Jesus as Lord and Saviour, you become a part of a kingdom purpose. You become a part of the plan of God to advance His kingdom on planet Earth. And often we look for the big moments, but it's in the everyday of our life that there is opportunity. Yes, sometimes big moments do come along, but it's in the everyday. And I just want to remind all of us that as followers of Jesus, and even if you're not yet, God has a plan for you. And I love Ephesians 2 verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. But I'm reading it from the, the Passion Translation, paraphrase, whatever you want to call it. Because it just gives a, a fresh take on it. We've become his poetry. God is writing a poem around his plan for your life and your response to it. We have become his poetry, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given each of us. For we are joined to Jesus Christ. And even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works that we would do to fulfill it. I want you to notice those words, the sense of destiny that God has planned for your life, for my life, for our lives, for every single human being a plan of destiny, a purpose. And he said, I conceived of this before you were even born. I knew the perfect time to drop you into history, the circumstances of your life. And even some of the most painful because of grace can be redeemed and transformed into something that is a positive in your life. And I'm not making life light of any pain or suffering that anybody's gone through. But surrender to Jesus, it can become something beautiful in your life without diminishing the pain or the things that shouldn't have happened, but did. And we need to live with that sense of purpose, that sense of destiny. I'm not saying, you know, like, oh, I'm not God, I'm personal. But just that quiet thing, especially when things don't be, seem to be going right. Now, God's got a plan for this. God's got a way forward through this. God's still got something for me. I've got breath in my lungs. There's still places for me to go. The Holy Spirit to lead me and guide me into different situations. That's the excitement about this thing that God's got a plan for us. He's got destiny for us. And I think some of us need to reconnect to that this morning. I want to take a little kind of pastoral moment and be a little bit blunt. If you're not really interested, and I'm speaking to believers now, followers of Jesus, in saying, God, I want to outlive your plan and purpose for my life, then any amount of prayer that we can give you is actually a waste of time. Hello. No, no, just listen. We will keep praying. 
We pray over the prayer requests. We're intentional about it. We love doing it. And we've got great prayer warriors. But if you are indifferent, you're going, God, I don't care about your plan, destiny. I'm just going to go do my own thing. And would you please bless it and remove all these problems? Well, we can pray until we're blue in the face and God's not going to do anything because you don't care about His plan or purpose. I'm very quiet. But it's that heart to say, it's not about getting it perfect, but that heart that says, God, I want your plan. I want your purpose. If you need to redirect me, if you need to correct me. And in that place, God begins to answer things and there's breakthrough. So we've talked about the here, dissatisfied or you're kind of content but need to be stirred up a little bit. But how do we get there? We've identified the here, and then we're going to talk a little bit of how to get there. And I want to just frame it with a verse that you may know or you may not from Psalm 138 and verse 8. It says, The Lord will outwork his plans for my life, for your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon me, for you made me. And this is a declaration of David. And just listen to these words. The Lord will outwork his plans for my life. He'll outwork his plans for your life. For your faithful love, for your faithful love, for your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. You see, our assurance in God outworking His plans for our life, even when we've taken wrong turns, even when we mess it up, is that He loves us. And no matter how bad we've got the situation we've got into, His love is there to lift you up, to take you out, to redirect you. He will not abandon you. It's the faithful love of God. Came across a great quote by John Burgeon who was the dean of Chichester Cathedral in 1857, I think, somewhere around there. But I love these words. He says, His creating hands formed our souls at the beginning. His nail-pierced hands redeemed them on Calvary. His glorified hands will hold our souls fast and not let them go forever. Unto his hands, let us commit our spirits. His hands will again make perfect all that our hands have unmade. Filled with God's heart, God's passion, God's promise, and even the things we get wrong that our hands unmake, his hand can reach into your circumstance and make it again into his plan and purpose if there's just willingness in your heart. So number one, to get there, we need to live with contented dissatisfaction. I know that sounds like an oxymoron, but that's all right. Live with a contented dissatisfaction. See, Paul says that true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. True godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires. 
Now, Paul is not condemning wealth. And if you are blessed and you've got great opportunities and you run your own business or you have a great income coming in, it's not a put down of that. What he's saying, if you make wealth your goal, you will make some foolish decisions. But if you make God your goal and in that you get wealth, you can be content. And you can live in that place of assurance. It's again about aligning your will with God's will, your plans with God's plans and saying, God, you can interrupt, you can redirect. And in all of that, he will take care of us. And that whole thing of being content is really important. I think we live probably in one of the most discontented ages ever in history. And it's fed us all the time. I'm not going to go on a tangent here, but all the time by advertising that reminds us what we don't have. And mostly we don't really need those things anyway. We won't ask for hands to go up of late night shoppers online. We can leave it alone. I've done it myself on occasions. No judgment. (laughs) Not too many failures, but I wanted to. (laughs) See, God wants to work his purpose in your life. Romans 8 and verse 28. For we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. I want you to notice, sometimes people quote that verse and they only quote the first part. We know that God can work all things together for good, full stop. Now, that's not the whole verse. He can work all things together for good if there's just two things going on in your life. One, you're loving God to the best of your ability and you're saying, God, I want your plan and purpose. You see, those are the things we bring to the equation. And when we bring our love for Him and when we bring... A heart to say, God, I want your will, your plan in my every day. He says, I can take all the painful, negative, frustrating things and begin to weave them into something that you'll look back and go, that was amazing. I didn't enjoy it at the time, but God, you worked something through that that is powerful. Secondly, consider your calling. And this is really important for us to get Paul in Ephesians Chapter 4 and verse 1, after describing the magnificence of our salvation and the purpose of God in and through the church, he says, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. And I want you to note something. What follows next is a whole lot of instructions on how to get on with people, and how to discover your gifts, your talents and your abilities and use them. And he's not talking about pastors and apostles and prophets exclusively. He's talking to the congregation there. He said, you need to remind yourself that there's a calling of God on your life and make an effort to say, God, I want to live that out in a worthy manner. That if you called into the workplace, if you called into caring for kids at home, if you called into volunteering, if you called into any part of everyday life, walk into it called of God. God's given me this opportunity. God's opened this door. Or I've begun to walk in it and saying, Lord, as I walk, lead and guide me. You are called of God. It's not just pastors who are called 
every single one of us is called of God. And this is an exhortation to all of us. And as I noted, a lot of what Paul talks about in the following verses is unity, how to get on with people and all the rest of it and discovering your gifts and using gifts to serve others. And God calls us to people more than he does to vocation or locations. I want you to think about that. God calls us to people more than he does to vocations or locations. And you may disagree with me on that, and that's all right. Don't mind if you're wrong. (laughs) I'm having fun with that. Forgive me. But let me put it this way then. We concern ourselves a lot with what we will do and where we will do it. But we also need to include Who will we do this with? And that maybe is the balancing thing. It's not one or the other. It's kind of like a stool that with three legs is stable. Yeah, what am I called to? Where am I called to? But don't forget the question, who am I called to? And who am I called to do this with? Just one little illustration from the scripture, Acts 18. Then Paul left Athens which had not been a particularly good experience for him, and went to Corinth. And there he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontius, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. You go, thanks for that verse, for that information. What are you on about? I want you to notice what happened there. Paul's not had a great experience in Athens, Preached a great sermon, but not much impact. And he moves to Corinth. And there he gets acquainted with this couple, Aquila and Priscilla, who remarkably had just arrived from some other city. You see, God was not just, Paul knew what he was called to. He now feels prompted to go to Corinth. He's got the location. And now God is introducing the people that he's going to do life with in the next missionary journey, in the next part of building the church, because that's what Paul was called to. The third thing. There's only 10 of these. No, there's not. I'm almost done. Contented dissatisfaction. Consider your calling. Faithful in small things. Jesus in another parable, Linda, um, Luke 16, verse 10 and verse 12. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest in greater responsibilities. And then he asks a question. And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? I think this is one of the most sobering challenging verses for every single one of us in every single situation. Am I being faithful with what I've got in my hands already rather than just longing for other things? And this kingdom principle It's called the little big kingdom principle. Jesus mentions quite a few times 
and it's played out in Scripture in a number of places. That if you can't be faithful in the little, you'll never be entrusted by God with anything bigger, with anything greater. And that goes to the whole issue of how do I conduct myself in the workplace? Especially if I don't enjoy where I'm working or the people that I'm working with. And yet God hasn't released me from that. Are you still being faithful in that? I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying you don't have to have an attitude check every moment. I'm not saying you won't have some moments about it. But the question is, will you still be faithful in what's entrusted to you until God? And maybe for some, that door of opportunity that you are longing for, praying for and believing for and maybe even feel stirred by God in hasn't opened because he's waiting for you to be faithful where you are, diligent where you are, trustworthy where you are. Psalm 75 verse 6, I really felt when I was praying over this, this is really important for a whole number of us. Exaltation, another translation says promotion, comes neither from the east nor the west nor from the south. But God is the judge and he puts down one and exalts another. The reason the north is left out of there, because in the Jewish mind, the throne of God was towards the north. And they say, stop looking at people and other circumstances for your promotion. And I believe with all my heart this morning, I really felt in praying about this, there are people here that God wants to promote. There are people here that God wants to give you breakthrough in your workplace, in your business. He wants to exalt you. And you looking in all the wrong directions, you need to look to the throne of God and say, God, You open the door. You give me the breakthrough. And in fact, we're going to pray into that at the end of this message. The final thing, in whatever we do, let's try to honour the Lord. Give honour to God in the way we live. Paul in Colossians 3 and verse 23 and following says, whatever you do, And I just want to pause here. He's actually speaking to both free people and slaves who don't have a lot of choice. The only thing they can actually choose is their attitude. Whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord, not for men. Knowing that the Lord, that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward for you are serving the Lord Christ. He's saying you can transform the most mundane things. And for slaves who had no control over their lives, what they were going to, he said, you can transform those things into things that bring eternal reward because you do them as to unto the Lord, not just for an earthly boss, an earthly leader, an earthly master in the situation. One of the great tenets of the Reformation was that Martin Luther believed that the call of God comes to us in our daily tasks. To borrow a phrase from Karl Barth, a theologian, he says we have the freedom of obedience when it comes to the everyday of our life. The freedom, you can choose not to do it or you can choose to do it in a way that honours Jesus, that brings honour and glory to His name. The freedom of obedience to use our gifts, our opportunities and the circumstance of our lives 
to glorify God. And one of the big questions, as I just brought, draw this to a close, are we gonna walk, work for our glory or are we gonna work for God's glory? Are we gonna work for our glory or work for God's glory? I'm sure many of you know of and have watched the movie Chariots of Fire. I know the story. And the story is of two British athletes in the 1926 Olympics. Eric Liddell, who happened to be a devout Christian who ran for the glory of God. And Harold Abrahams, an English Jew who runs to overcome prejudice. And I want to just state up front, both are noble things. What Abraham, um, Harold Abrahams was doing, trying to overcome prejudice, was a noble thing to do. I'm not putting that down. But Eric Liddell had this conviction that he was running for God's glory. Abraham, Abrahams was running for glory. And Abraham says this before one of the races. And now in one hour's time, I will be there again. I will raise my eyes and look down the corridor four feet wide with 10 lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. You see, he's running full glory. And so every race is there to justify his existence. He's working for something. He's striving for something. And so every loss, and he won a lot of races, but every loss becomes a crushing defeat. He's running for glory. Liddell said this before a race, I believe God has made me for a purpose. He has also made me fast. And when I run, I feel His pleasure. You see, when we run for God's purpose, when we work for God's purpose, we feel His pleasure. I'm not talking about goosebumps every single day, about every single moment, but that sense that you run for God's pleasure, you work for God's pleasure, you use your gifts for God's pleasure because you're seeking to honour and glorify Him. David in Psalm 16 says, I've set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand and I shall not be shaken. I set the Lord before me always. And I wonder for many of us today whether there just needs to be an adjustment of the heart of the attitude when it comes to our everyday and discovering God's purpose in our everyday. Craig Rochelle said, everybody ends up somewhere, but not everybody ends up somewhere on purpose. God wants us to live for His purpose.